Hello and welcome to Daily Interlake News Now. My name is Taylor Inman. I'll be your host. We're chatting about last week's biggest stories and taking a look at what's coming up this week in the Flathead Valley. Starting with our news roundup, a planned integration of Billings Clinic and Logan Health is still in the works after the clinic announced some major budget cuts. It was announced in February they had signed a non-binding letter of intent to, quote, explore uniting the two organizations into one integrated, independent Montana-based health system. Billings Clinic cuts include up to 5% pay cuts for doctors and pausing contributions to employees' 403B retirement plans. The hospital is also seeking to temporarily cut 10% of hospital executive salaries and implementing a business travel freeze and a hiring freeze. Responding to this announcement, Logan Health Senior Coordinator Chris Leopold said in an email to the Interlake on Tuesday that many healthcare systems across the country are facing financial challenges in today's environment, including Montana hospitals. He said they are continuing discussions with Billings Clinic to explore how the two healthcare systems can be stronger together. Governor Greg Gianforte joined educators, administrators, and students in a roundtable discussion focused on workplace experiences and individualized learning at Flathead High School on Wednesday. Gianforte complimented Kalispell Public Schools on the work the district officials have done so far with Build Montana, a private program from the the Montana Contractors Association aimed at introducing students to construction careers, as well as other local internship opportunities. The governor's opening... The governor's opening remarks focused on the 2023 legislative session and education bills poised for his signature, including House Bill 257, sponsored by Kalispell Representative Courtney Springer. The legislation boosts the amount of money available to Montana students looking to explore career fields through a program that supports career and technical education. The bill, already approved in the House, is projected to pass the Senate. It's going to continue to expand CTE programs in all the high schools in the state and extend beyond traditional brick and mortar. Uh, I think it's important that we have the facilities, but there's a lot of learning that can go on in other formats. One of the biggest challenges facing Montana businesses is finding workers, and Gianforte said he hopes that programs like the one Sprunger is supporting will bolster an array of professions and markets. Prescribed fire projects in the Flathead National Forest are planned this spring as weather, fuel conditions, and air quality conditions allow. Burns are planned on the Swan Lake, Tally Lake, Hungry Horse, and Glacier View, and the Spotted Bear Ranger District spanning Flathead County. Many of the burns are smaller in size and will probably not be visible from Kalispell, according to Executive Assistant with the Flathead National Forest, Ivy Gelling. There are a few that may garner attention, though, such as Stovepipe 903, as it's located on the north side of the Mountain Meadow Road on the west side of the Flathead Valley. The intent with the fire is to improve control of wildfires and reduce fuels closer to the city. Smoke from this burn will be visible from various places in the valley. Another proposed project will take place within the Blacktail Mountain area west of Lakeside and south of Kyla. Tally Lake Ranger District has some projects that can be seen from the valley as well. The Ottaker 3 project in Star Meadow, approximately 14 miles west of Whitefish, will be burned to consume the dead fuels created from an initial 2016 fire. A project southwest of Olney, Burnt Grouse 2.0, will be burned to reduce fuels as well. Other projects include slash pile burning across the area, timber harvest, and broadcast burning in previously treated timber harvest units, and prescribed burns on the steep slopes of the Hungry Horse and Glacier View districts. For more information on these prescribed burns, contact the appropriate ranger station. Many across the Flathead Valley spent yesterday celebrating Easter, and for the 70th year, the Columbia Fall Lions put on their annual egg hunt. Lions Club former president and membership chairman Steve Melby is involved with putting on the hunt that garners lots of attention from Columbia Falls kids every year. We meet at 11 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and set up. And generally we're done around 12, but we want to be ahead of the kids. And within five minutes, it's completely picked. 
The Hungry Horse News reported on the first egg hunt, which took place at Old Town Park, now known as Fenhold Park, in 1953, with 200 youngsters showing up to collect about 900 eggs. Photos from that story show that white rabbits were given out as prizes for children. The hunt has been canceled a few times over the year due to deep snow and cold. During the COVID-19 pandemic, the Lions Club held a drive-through hunt where, family picked up, where families picked up prepackaged eggs and candy. After 70 years of the hunt, Melby said the Lions now hide 3,000 eggs. Though you won't get a white rabbit today, plastic eggs are filled with candy and other prizes for kids to turn in after the hunt is over. It's just one event that the Columbia Fall Lions puts on every year for the community. To learn more about what they do, check out their Facebook page. It's now time for our deep dive segment, and today I'm chatting with Interlake reporter Adrian Noller about his experience spending the night at one of the area's only overnight homeless shelters. The Warming Center in Kalispell houses 50 people every night through the brutal Montana winter, and Adrian spent some time getting to know just a few of their residents. All right, Adrian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So as I understand it, you recently spent the night at the Warming Center. You interviewed some folks there about their circumstances. Um, so I just wanted to know kind of how was your experience there spending the night at the, at the warming center? It, it was eye opening. Um, it was something that, uh, I feel was important to do. Um, it's, there are people in our community of all kinds that were staying there and I was, I was, I wanted to go and, and, uh, see, see who was there and, and what their, their stories were. And, uh, yeah, the director of the the warming shelter reached out to me, Tanya, and uh, I was I was very happy to to accept her invitation. When you were preparing to go spend the night there, what what, what were some of the things that she kind of braced you for? Uh, she wanted me to know about the the policies that they have, um, the timing, the scheduling, what they offer, and she did warn me uh, to bring a change of clothing. Um, because they have uh, had some some issues with bed bugs, uh, in their in their their bedding. Yeah, and you found that to be true, correct? You left with some bites. Uh, yeah. Over the couple weeks after that, I I did find a number of bites uh, around my body. Yeah. So, a, a great resource for the community for people to go to, but you know there are still some of those things that you you spent one night there, but there are people who spend every night there, so. I thought that was interesting to mention. Um, so it, it seemed like among the people that you interviewed, there were people that do really spend um, every night there um, when they are able. Um, did you feel some sort of shared community amongst the people there? Uh, y- yes and no. It's an interesting question. Um, people got along quite well. I, I, there was no... I, I only saw... I'd say one, I don't, I don't even want to call it an argument, maybe more of a, a debate. It wasn't, um, you know, it was peaceful and it was, it was, a, it was along religious and philosophical lines. It wasn't, uh, it didn't turn into anything unruly. Um, I'd say for the most part, I mean, it, 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 it's everybody's space and it's none of their space in a way. So everybody um, acted as respectful guests, I'd say. Um, people were helping each other out. I did see, I did see that. I saw, and, and there are certainly friendships formed there. Um, I'd say people sort of had some friends and sort of broke off into some groups. Some people kept to themselves. Um, there was a, 
I don't know about a community, but there was definitely a culture of of empathy and understanding there. Um, people didn't get in each other's way, and people were... It was very respectful. It was a very respectful uh, uh, atmosphere. Okay. Um, I know it varies from person to person, um, but just among the people that you talked to, what were some of the circumstances that led to them having to stay in the shelter? Oh, yeah. There was a, a number of, of circumstances. Um, the ones that stood out to me, um, there were a number of, of women, particularly older women, who um, were divorced or had were out of relationships and lost housing as a, as a result of that. Um, there were younger people who just had maybe also maybe had a fallen out with their families and then through another of, through a number of circumstances found themselves without a, a safety net without um, the support that many people can count on with their families um, and and a common circumstance were people who had been renting uh, houses uh, sorry rooms rooms in in people's houses and then through various reasons were made homeless uh, typically a, a story I heard multiple times was that a house, was sold to a new owner and the new owner had new plans and didn't wish to, to rent out a room. Didn't. And so the arrangement ended and um, that could put people out on the street, you know, within a month. Um, there were, yeah, people who, whose lives were upended uh, because of uh, just the buying and selling of property that, uh, they had no say in. In January, Flathead County commissioners penned a letter about what they believe to be the cause of rising homelessness in Kalispell. They said local homeless shelters are causing people to migrate to the area, saying that, quote, if we continue to enable the homeless population, then those numbers will increase. Their claims about a progressive network conspiring to bring in more homeless people from elsewhere cannot be substantiated. Yeah, no, I, I made sure to ask uh, each of my, my interviewees, um, about that letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did that because the letter, although it didn't mention the, the shelter by name, uh, it might as well have. Um, it attributed, uh, that the commissioners in the letter attributed a rise in homelessness to the opening of uh, a low barrier overnight shelter. And in the county, the Flathead Warming Center is the only such shelter. So although they didn't use the name, it seemed pretty clear that they were calling out uh, that facility. And... In speaking with volunteers and and Tanya Horn, the director of the the shelter, they felt uh, targeted. They felt singled out by that letter. And in email communications and phone calls with her, she expressed to me that um, it had also made some of their guests uncomfortable. And so I, I had the sense before I went in that even if everybody in there hadn't maybe read the letter, uh, there was some understanding of it. There had been discussion of it. Uh, and, um, so I wanted to get, I wanted to get those, those people's opinions. Um, and a lot of the opinions basically were along the lines of, 
you know, that the commissioners should should come to the shelter uh, to see what the actual situation was before speaking out about it. Uh, people felt that the commissioners rushed, rushed to judgment uh, and and also felt that the in the letter they had sort of lumped all homeless people um, into a into a one category, uh, one that a lot of people did not identify with. Yeah. Uh, one of the people that you spoke to was Vicki Brockish. Um, you asked her if she could share anything about homelessness um, with people who aren't as familiar with it. Uh, what would she say? So we're going to play a clip from her right now. I think there's a stigma that people think homeless people can't think, they can't reason, and that, you know, they probably just accept the situation. I don't think they accept it. I think, I think it's stressful for them, and I think the ones that are able to do something better for themselves will actually try, um, but there's some that just can't. Do you mind explaining quickly uh, how Vicky ended up in, at the at the warming center? Yeah, Vicky told me that um, she'd been working as a as a live in caregiver uh, for elderly and disabled people, um, and she's she was such a warm, caring person. Um, I could tell that you know she's very good at that job. Uh, she said that in her last situation. Um, she, she found some kind of abuse that she was uncomfortable with and brought that to, uh, someone's attention and was basically fired, pardon me, as a result. Um, and the, the unfortunate situation, and she, she also shared with me her previous job before that, a similar live-in caregiver situation, uh, and, and then her, her patient died and she lost her job and her housing and this was a similar situation once she was fired um, by virtue of the the arrangement they had had she not only lost her income but also her her place to stay Um, so you know she was quite quite vulnerable um, when her housing and her job were so so tightly linked yeah, and it was so great of her to share that with you. Um, so obviously she's there during the night, but during the day, no one's allowed to stay at the warming center. Um, and you heard from some people about where they go during the day. Um, you know, recently there's been some places that have been closed off to them, like the gazebo at Depot Park in Kalispell. Um, what were some of the thoughts from people about where they go during the day and how they feel when they're out in the community? Yeah, that seemed to be um, a major challenge among a number of the people that I interviewed. Uh, the The fact of the matter is, there's not very many places to go in this community uh, during the day if you uh, don't have a job or or a place to live, um, especially in in the winter. <clears throat> uh, many said that they'd go to the library. <clears throat> uh, many said that they'd go to the library. Um, others said that they would spend time at a coffee shop or a restaurant if they had the money to pay for something. Um, but a number of, uh, a number of 
the people I interviewed said there was a need for some sort of day center or recreation center. Um, there have been some some day centers in the past. I know Sunburst Mental Health operated one at least until a couple years ago, but uh, but had to shut that down. Uh, and, and at this point, there's very very few places for people to go. Others said that they'd go to the mall, but um, but people I spoke to, a number of them shared with me. Uh, a concern that they had about being perceived as homeless and, and a stigma and a treatment that they receive uh, if if they're seen as homeless. Um, people told me that they wouldn't bring backpacks uh, into stores or restaurants or the library uh, because they'd be seen as, as homeless people uh, and that they did everything they could to uh, appear otherwise. Um, yeah, I was told of people getting kicked out of, uh, the deli at the grocery store, even after having purchased, uh, items, uh, and, and, and that these were now attached to a sort of time limit similar to the, to the laws that we see passed, um, regarding the gazebo. Uh, the gazebo now has a, there's now a law on the books in Kalispell, that says that you can't occupy the gazebo for more than two or two and a half hours um, in a day without a, a permit. And um, so we're, we, according to the interviews, we're also seeing that kind of, those sorts of policies come into effect at, uh, at some, some local businesses. That's really interesting. Um, is there anything else that you've heard from people um, besides like a recreation center during the day that they feel would help them uh, get themselves out of this situation? Um, I, I asked, so I asked about um, sort of, let's say anti-homelessness resources and I didn't get um, a lot of opinions along those lines. People did seem to think that there was a need for, like I said, a day center, not that it would necessarily prevent or um, help someone out of homelessness, but more that it was that the community should have some place for people to go, homeless or not, during the day. Um, you know, someone I spoke with mentioned that he'd like to see it just for, just for retired people, for elderly people, as a social center, as a place to go. Uh, and the other thing that I heard a need for was just increased uh, shelter capacity um, because the unfortunate fact is, uh, according to, to the director of the shelter, they turn away people most nights uh, and they fill up most nights. And um, so there's, there's definitely the demand for more overnight shelter beds in this community. Um, and some people I spoke with uh, reiterated that and said that they'd like to see another shelter, you know, of the same size, um, perhaps on the other side of town, um, because transportation is very difficult as well. Mm -hmm. Um, thankfully the, the mountain climber bus service, 
picks people up from the shelter in the morning and I think uh, brings brings people back to the warming center um, when the library closes in the in the afternoon or evening. Um, but I definitely heard uh, some requests for an additional shelter offering similar services. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of our nonprofits here do um, offer resources to these people and are helping them on a case-by-case basis. In my experience in reporting on this and talking with different leaders and nonprofits here, they say that a lot of the people are already receiving some kind of assistance and the reality is is it just varies from person to person so wildly it's really a case-by-case basis yeah and i heard from plenty of people who uh, said that they didn't need any assistance and they didn't seek out any assistance and i i on multiple occasions i heard people who are sleeping at the shelter every night or outside saying that they were not you know they didn't feel like the intended uh audience for that they they always i I heard uh, a number of times that you know they were managing and there's people who need it more than them and um that people didn't and that they weren't going to seek assistance because they felt that others needed it needed it more and i think as i said earlier i think a lot of that has to do with just the adaptability of people when people get accustomed to a situation it can be tough to to change that um, and, uh, you know, some of it might be the Montana, uh, rugged individualism, yeah. you know, people from this state are very proud of their ability to, to manage, to make do, to survive. Um, and, um, and I got the sense that a lot of these people felt resilient and that they didn't need or want anybody's help. All right, Adrian. Well, I appreciate you chatting with me about this story. You can read Adrian's story on thedailyinterlake.com. Um, Adrian, what do you what do you cover for us? Uh, I cover all things Kalispell, business, transportation, housing. Awesome. All right. Well, look out for more of Adrian's great reporting. And yeah, thanks for joining us. Homelessness has been a hot button issue in the community over the course of this winter. And you can find more coverage of it on our website, dailyinterlake.com. And now a look at what's coming up this week for the Flathead. For weather, it's starting to feel a little bit more like spring here, but it's not quite there yet. Forecasts for this week show slightly warmer temperatures with the chance of precipitation. We could see high 50s or high 50s to low 60s today, but rain and snow are predicted to occur throughout the week, as well as some partly cloudy conditions allowing for the sunshine to peek through every now and again. Lows for the week are going to stay around low 30s and high 20s, bringing in that chance of snow during the early morning and nighttime. Taking a look at events tonight at the Northwest Montana History Museum, Helena author and Notre Dame professor Mark T. Johnson presents The Middle Kingdom Under the Big Sky, A History of the Chinese Experience in Montana. Johnson will talk about his book and leading a transnational translation effort into primary documents from the Montana Historical Society. The Chinese came to cook, clean, and lay tracks, but their stories were seldom told until now. The talk starts at 6 p.m. The Whitefish Theatre Company's Evelyn in Purgatory is entering its final weekend run. A poignant and funny drama, Evelyn in Purgatory is an uncommonly smart and restrained commentary on the public education system. The show runs Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week, starting at 7.30 p.m. Tickets are available online. 
The Wild Coats College Center is continuing their speaker series with world-renowned photographer Annie Griffiths this Friday. Griffiths is photographed in more than 100 countries during her rich and varied career. She's worked on dozen of dozens of magazine and book projects for National Geographic, including stories on Lawrence of Arabia, Galilee, Petra, Sydney, and Jerusalem. Her talk at the Wild Coats College Center begins at 7.30 p.m. Logan Health's Wellness Expo is taking place this Saturday from 9 to 1. There will be raffles, prizes, and kids' activities, as well as health screenings and free wellness information. The event takes place at the Logan Health Medical Fitness Center in Kalispell. And a celebration of the opening of Summer, Summer's Beach State Park is happening this Saturday at Volunteer Park in Lakeside, starting at 11 a.m. The recreation area is Montana's newest state park. Thanks for joining us for our new podcast. We'd love to hear from you about how we can make this format the best it can be. What would you like to hear discussed? Shoot me an email at tinmin at dailyinterlake.com. That's T-I-N-M-A-N at dailyinterlake.com. Everybody stay safe and have a great week.